Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And we're really excited to bring you today's guest, one of the top competitors in the heavyweight scene, Jiu-Jitsu today. And the heavyweight scene of Jiu-Jitsu today, I'm so starstruck, I can't even get my intro right. And we can't wait to bring him on. But before we do, brief shout out to sponsors of the show, your friends and ours, No Judges Needed, your one-stop shop for all of your grappling apparel needs. You know they got rash guards. You know they got fight shorts. You know they got geese for all the pajama players out there. And for everybody that wants to show their jiu-jitsu pride outside of the gym, they got you set up with some cool casual wear like t-shirts and hoodies. You know, it's it's we love wearing the swag. That's why we do this sport. Uh, obviously, swag costs money, though. And for those of you that are looking to save a penny or two, we're here to help you out. Use the code JJT at checkout to knock off 20% off your purchase. Guaranteed savings, everybody. Come on. We're all poor. We have a really expensive hobby. Let's t- save some money. So once again, that's www.nojudgesneeded.com. Code JJT for 20% off. Thank you to No Judges Needed for sticking with us. We love you guys. How you doing? All right, ad read over. Today, we have uh, an incredibly successful guest, uh, coach over at Atos HQ, one of the standout Atos athletes of this generation, and the number one ranked brown belt competitor heavyweight in the world today, and potentially a long-lost relative of mine. Please (laughs) join us in welcoming to the show today, Mr. Adam Bradley. Adam, thank you so much for giving us your time, man. How you doing? Doing great. How are you guys? Uh, you know, another another day, another day in the big city, another day in the life of in the big city of Florida. Yeah, Tampa, Florida, the big city. <laughs> I want you both to know that that Kit, our boss, he's going to have to talk me off of a ledge because I'm this close to naming this podcast episode Kevin Kevin Bradley Bradley, and I don't know if I'm wrong to do that. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, we might be cousins. I got to go on like Ancestry.com and make sure. Yeah. Kevin is very, uh, very, Kev, very, very adamant that you guys are related in some way. I'm oh, Kevin, I hate, I, no, 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 no. Look at that jawline. Yeah, Look I at that hair pattern that I'm rushing to. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to break this thing lightly, Kev, but uh, that genetic code does not look anywhere near the same. I don't know, place. man. No. It, it, this, your likeness ends, your likeness ends in last name. I, hey, look, we've met in person. I, I actually got the chance to talk to Mr. Bradley here. Never thought I'd get to say Mr. Bradley on a podcast, but um, I got to meet him in Des Moines, Iowa during the Jiu-Jitsu Woodstock Festival. I'm just going to mute your mic because there's a little bit of an echo. But I got to meet him, and standing next to him, we're about the same size, you know, similar capped shoulders, huge pecs, and, like, ripped abs. Like, we're, you know, and and also we both love fantasy novels. So, really, you know, you, no matter what the DNA results say, we're cousins. Well, you know, what I just sleep at night, Kev, you know. Oh, I go to, that's <laughs> the only way I can sleep at the night. The only way you go to sleep at night, exactly. <laughs> so, Adam, what's what has been your recent jujitsu time? How have you been on the mats lately? Um, honestly, like this, this, uh, last couple of weeks since the new year started been kind of taking some time off to like look at my life and other, like other aspects of my life. And I've been, uh, trying to make a new schedule cause now I'm actually starting to train for MMA. And so, wow. yeah, I just started this week, um, training kickboxing and MMA at the arena while I'm training jujitsu at Atos, teaching at Atos. So. Yeah, I uh, took a couple weeks off just to kind of like 
figure out my life, get things together, and then make this new schedule, meet my new coaches. And uh, this week I just started, so I'm very excited for that. Hey, everybody. Very brief technical issue with uh, uh, Echo, but we're back talking with Adam. Uh, MMA, what what inspired that transition, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I've always wanted to do MMA. Um, the reason I started Jiu-Jitsu was because I wanted to fight MMA, and um, you know that was a decade ago. So then what happened was, you know, I started no-gi training, was expecting just to get right into MMA right off the bat, but then I just fell in love with jiu-jitsu and fell in love with the gi and decided I want to specialize in that and see how far I could go in that sport alone. And now, you know, 10 years later, I'm starting to find myself, like, ready to, like, you know, diversify my training, start something new and get that ball rolling, you know. Well, I, I think just to compare your journey to something I'm more familiar with in terms like, cause I've never been a professional athlete, but I've played video games before and I've played a video game where, you know, you can do side quests until you get to the final boss and you've essentially just grinded to level a hundred. And now the final boss might be a little too easy for you. And, you know, not, <laughs> not everyone gets their blue belt in terms of jujitsu training before jumping into the octagon. You've gone, not only gotten your brown belt, but you're one of the highest ranked competitors at your weight class, at your belt rank in the world. Um, was there an inciting incident that made you want to readjust to MMA or? No, I just feel like ready for a little bit of a change, you know, after years, like six, seven years of the, not like monotony. It's not like it's boring to this, you know, training camp competition, like IBJF. Like we, we all know like the usual schedule in a normal year. Um, I guess, I guess 2020 kind of like, made me want to switch up and, you know, start to diversify my training more. And yeah, it just seems like, you know, I'm 25 now. So it seems like the right time to start, uh, you know, learning a new skill, being a wipeout again, a new sport striking. And by the time, you know, and then I'll still be you know young enough to have a great career in MMA by the time I'm ready and feel confident enough to get into the cage. What are some of your coaches at uh, Autos? thoughts on that are they concerned about it taking away from jiu-jitsu are they are they supportive of the fact that you want to go out and and, and you know go for other things obviously if you're training you're striking at another facility they probably don't have a very established mma program at autos i don't know that they have much mma going around there but are they are they cool with that are they saying hey that's good go on and do that you could still do jiu-jitsu we could just focus it towards an mma centric uh thought process yeah, 100%. Professor uh, Gavao has been very supportive of that decision. Um, I've let him know my plans. You know, As soon as they come into mind, I communicate that with him, and he's been very supportive. Um, there's a few other guys at Autos who are interested in MMA, so we might start getting like an MMA training at Autos, but yeah, we are primarily jiu-jitsu. And so for now, you know, I'm going to seek out world-class strikers You know, instead of trying to learn from other jiu-jitsu guys who learn striking i rather go that's just like how i moved to autos to get world-class jiu-jitsu i want to go to where there's world-class striking as well um because i want to learn from the best of course you know yeah i mean i'm sure i'm sure that if andre gaval put the freaking uh put a, a news flash out he was looking for a striking coach that there would be a large number of world-class strikers that would want that would die for an opportunity to coach uh at, at autos but i mean whatever he's he's focused on jiu-jitsu you guys unquestionably I always talk about this, you know, it's you guys fight sports and, you know, the Dan and her death squad check my people kind of flutter in there a little bit. When you talk about like premier uh, competitive schools in the, in the world of jiu-jitsu right now, and, you know, Autos is 
clearly on top of the list. It's five force right there to it. But I think that Atos maybe edges him out just slightly. Um, you guys have a bunch of killers. It's an amazing program. So um, talking about your MMA transition and moving on to, to MMA, um, it's it's curious that you waited. I mean, only I only say that because it's it's doesn't happen a lot. And normally, guys when they start with MMA, they they you know when they come into doing jujitsu with the mindset of going into MMA, it's you know they are going through the motions there of their jujitsu in the idea of incorporating as much as they possibly can and learn as much as they possibly can. But it's still geared towards going to an MMA uh, career, you know, and you. Or brown belt. Obviously, you've had quite a bit of success in the jiu-jitsu realm that led you to, you know, to kept you in the jiu-jitsu game and, and kept you away from MMA. What are some of the reasons why you did that? Why did you stick with uh, with jiu-jitsu instead of jumping right into MMA? Yeah, so I really wanted to specialize. You know, I just love jiu-jitsu so much. I plan on even this year, like as soon as a gi major tournament gets announced, like Pans of Worlds, I'll put the gi on and I'll train for it. You know, because I really do enjoy it and I love it. Um, until then, you know, my matches are primarily no gi for last year and this year. So it just kind of like tailors itself towards MMA as well. And my game, I think is good for MMA because, you know, I don't have to train too differently. You know, I love the wrestle. I like to stay on top, but you know, I also practice my, I'm a guard player as well. I can do everything. You know, I'm very well-rounded. So I feel confident that my game will transfer and I just really have to focus on my striking and then the clinch work to get into my ground game. And that's basically what I'm working on now. But um, yeah, it's not going to like take away from my jujitsu training. I'm still in autos a few days a week, whether I'm teaching or training. And basically, yeah, as soon as like if you want me to put a gi on and train, I'll do it. You know, I have no problem. Like I'm very confident that I can do all these things and still have great success. I I, I think it's it'd be cool to talk about your experience and and your seeming love and appreciation of the gi, considering you entered jujitsu primarily to get into MMA. Were when you started jujitsu, were you of what did you avoid the gi at all, or were you fine training in it? Because I've I've noticed a lot of MMA fighters have mixed feelings about the gi. Um, honestly, when I first started training, I just couldn't afford a gi, and uh, we did <laughs> gi and no gi. But I was training in a sweatshirt when it came to gi class, you know, because like I wow. it took me a year to afford a eighty dollar gi when I first started training, you know. <laughs> um, so, but then since then. I've done mostly no gi, but I love the gi as well. You see me at every gi major tournament. Um, I have a lot of fun. It's just really creative. There's a lot more stop and go, a lot of more thinking in the process of like how to pass or deal with like the lapel guards and 50-50. And it's just a lot of fun to me. Um, it's not like I chose for any particular reason to do more no gi or whatever. I just kind of, whatever, I have like FOMO when it comes to competing. If there's a gi tournament, I want to do it. I don't want some other guy to win it. I want to win it. Same thing with no, no. gi, any rule set. <laughs> Now I'm just looking. I, I think there's a potential here for a super fight with you and uh, Supernatural Survival Gear Kent Peters doing sweatshirt <laughs> jujitsu, like submission only, no time limit. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I, oh, I think about that a lot, and I think I, that's a topic of discussion that I always go through a lot when we have MMA fighters and we have guys that come to the gym that really just want to be MMA fighters that are rising their ranks through the amateurs and things like that. And like, I always tell people that you know, in order for you to truly be good at MMA, it's very important that you not only understand 
what MMA incorporates. You know, it's a combination of all skill sets. You got to understand boxing. You got to understand jiu-jitsu. You got to understand wrestling. You got to understand kickboxing, movie titles, and things like that. Right. But you should never go into MMA with the with the mindset of I'm going to train just what works for MMA. And that's the only thing I care about. You need to focus on each individual aspect of what makes MMA individually. Build your skill set in those areas. And then you start to realize what you can shave off, what's going to work for MMA, what's not going to work for MMA. Because I guarantee you that even some obscure gi lapel choke uh opportunities you think about no gi right that aren't necessarily anywhere relevant for a, for a, for a, for an mma match will have some way of popping into your mind when you're in an mma match maybe not a gi choke that might be a wrong wrong uh experience but think about maybe a wrong wrong example think about maybe like a a weird 50 50 position or an awkward sweep that would never really work you would think about it as an mma position but there's going to be a time when that may be viable for you in MMA, and it's gonna and, and, and it'll evolve for you in that regard. So, like you did a good job by getting that brown belt in MMA. Your your, your jujitsu is gonna be top notch. It's gonna be something you're gonna hold on to as your foundations. Yeah, I find like training gi and no gi. You know, to compare those two, like my passing in the gi or passing no gi. I mean, is like it. I feel like my gi training helps my no-gi passing because I can do gi style passing to these no-gi guys. I can do toriandos and like the timing of when, you know, you start to pass one the way they contract their knees to their chest and they become like a tight little ball. And usually in the gi, you can grab the pants, spin them around. I do that no-gi too now because I've practiced that movement so many times. I can do it with an ankle grip or a gi grip, you know, it doesn't matter. And I feel like um, you just build these little skills that's easier to build in the gi or sometimes easier to build no-gi, but then they transfer between the two. Yeah, you know, you start, yeah, of course, you start to, uh, like, anytime you are trying to solve problems under duress using jujitsu, your jujitsu game is getting better. And I use that analogy a lot. Like, I have, when I have no gi matches, like, I, I will put a gi on to train for a no gi match because I'm doing jujitsu. I'm learning, I'm thinking, I'm making my brain process the results. And just like you said, if I got a gi match, like, I'm going to train a no gi. Now, I will, understandably focus my energy in one direction depending on what i have to do that that week but like training your gi gets your no gi game better and training a no gi gets your gi game better it's vice versa what do you think about when people bring up the topic of training in your in the gi makes you more technical because you have the friction your explosive energy isn't involved as much you have to you know grips are involved you have to really pay attention and and and, and use that monotonous kind of uh, flow i feel like hmm, i guess I feel like I can you rephrase that? Can you phrase that question again? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, I apologize. I, I, no, I'm you're good. Crazy sometimes. The the question is is how do you feel when pe- what what do you, what are your thoughts on training in the gi to make you a more uh, uh, technical grappler instead of an explosive oh, okay. grappler? Right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, you're good, man. I feel like they're both technical, but I feel like no gi, you have to start to think faster. Because right. once you start a move, especially if it's sweaty, once you start something, it becomes like a scramble. And it's like two squirrels fighting, you know, over a nut. And it's just right. you have to really, you don't have as much time to like stop and think or hold the position. You know, in the gi, I can staple you down by your collar and like hold you for a second or keep your sleeve up, keep your elbow off the mat and like just stall for a second to like, okay, look around, see where the knee cut is, whatever. No gi, 
you have to get an underhook head scoop go and then fight from there. So I think they're both technical. Um, one's just a lot faster pace, just like wrestling. People say like, oh, wrestling's not technical. It's very technical, but you have right. to work it's really fast. Technical. Yeah, think fast. That leads me to the next question. Are you a wrestling? You have a wrestling background? Is that where you started from? Were you a wrestler before you did jujitsu? No, I never wrestled. I wish uh, I wish I had wrestling in my school. It was too small for wrestling. Um, but we had jujitsu club for a couple of years, and that's how I got started. So, oh, really? Um, mm-hmm. So I started wrestling after I graduated high school. Um, I was training at an MMA gym, and I was mostly no gi. And some wrestlers from a college up north would come and train on our mats, and I would just get in there with them and just had to learn. So now then I like I was like scared of wrestling before then. And then I spent like a solid year just wrestling. And now I really enjoy it. Well you guys you guys wrestle at Autos, that's for sure. There aren't too many guard poles at Autos. I mean there are, but like yeah. you guys I've been I've been to a few of your practices and you guys start standing the entire time and you, you you fight for those positions. You fight for those takedowns and like it's almost a dying art sometimes in jujitsu. Like it's starting to come back. You start people are guys the, the guard pullers, like even the guard pullers are, are learning to wrestle now because they realize eventually you're gonna have to wrestle. There's no there's gonna be a time in your match when you're down by a point or you can't pull a guard because they're gonna deduct a, point, deduct a point for you that you're gonna have to fight for that wrestling position. We've been teaching wrestling right now in my gym for this last month, and um, you know, you need it. You have to have it. I got you. Got to have wrestling. That's all there is to it. It's nice because you can have like you, there's matches where I've pulled guard over and over, played 50 50 the whole round, and I'm down by two, and we get out 50 right. 50, and they think I'm going to pull again. It's nice to have a blast double in your back pocket just to surprise them with, you know. Yeah, you know, definitely pulled that out to win some matches last minute. They're like, oh, they're going to pull guard. Boom, just take them right down. You yeah, know, which so- kind of leads me back to the point about, you know, training jujitsu and having that advanced, you know, jujitsu competition, jujitsu mindset is that, you know, all of those things, even though they're not as viable to what you would consider to be MMA techniques, like it's cool to know you have a single leg or a freaking roll through fucking deep half guard sweep or something like that. That might not be your go-to, but if you need a sweep, you need something, and there's an opportunity where it develops and you can feel safe with it, at least you understand that position and learn how to work through it. Now, so. 100%. I feel like with MMA, you know, if you're on bottom, you're in a lot of danger. So to have as many transitions and escape routes as possible to get out of danger and then to come up, you know, the more jiu-jitsu you have, the more wrestling you have, the safer you're going to be on bottom because you have these areas to escape to and come up and counter. I I would love to know a little bit more. We've seen a lot of uh, big-time jiu-jitsu athletes recently make the jump into MMA. You know, Buchecha just announced he's going to be competing in one. Gary Tonin has been in there for a few years now, I think, and it's it, we've started to notice a little bit. I think even Andre – has teased the idea of coming back before. I don't know if you have any more insight onto that. Um, but do you have any kind of idea of, as to promotion, uh, what kind of scale you're looking at, or do you have a promotion in mind, or how, how far along in the process that way are you? Yeah, I'm like as it comes to promotion, I'm not totally sure yet. I know it's going to be hard for me to find amateur fights, so that's the thing. I might have to go straight to pro. Yeah, <laughs> you you screwed up by being the number one ranked brown belt in the world, man. That's, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how that. I'm not sure how that. Uh, I, I know in Florida, you have to have. I think it's five amateur fights, six amateur fights before you can go pro. But right, because you probably had paid. A paid purse from a uh, jiu-jitsu match that may be considered pro. I don't know. I don't think so. I really don't know. I'm just talking to my ass. But uh, 
I don't see why you wouldn't be able to have some amateur fights. Kev is just trying to get you to come out to Florida and like hang out with him. All right, he wants to get out. I mean, I'm down. I'm down to do amateur fights if I can get one. I'll do it. You know, the experience is good. Have you Have you heard any Have you heard any feedback along those lines? Are they going to allow you to amateur? Are they going to cut you back on that? You don't know yet. I don't know yet. Like I just met my MMA coaches the other day, and um, they're they don't know if they're going to be able to get me amateur fights, but we'll try. You know, Um, it works like that. Yeah, we'll, well see. the problem is, is and that's where you're gonna you're gonna have this problem regardless. You're you, you just because you have the jujitsu accolades, you're this Atos guy, number one brown belt in the world. You know, th- there's no one's gonna want to fight you, especially at an amateur fight. You're, it's not it's not a question of do you need to fight. It's a question of like who's gonna be dumb enough to come fight Adam Bradley, you know, <laughs> a brown belt world champion uh, in an amateur match. Yeah, they'll likely try to find like find me some like really accomplished wrestler or some Muay Thai world champ or something like that. You know, that's probably what be my first fight. Someone tough for sure. Yeah, take a couple, take as many meatballs as you can, kid. Get get your fucking get that that bread, man. (laughs) I know. uh, I know. Like King of the Cage has a pretty pretty easy to enter amateur division. So if you ever want to come up north, like knock some cans around before they they put (laughs) you in the prime time. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Any opportunities? So let's talk a little bit about uh, some more grappling stuff because I I'm just curious about about you and and particularly about Atos in general. Like again, I know you've been at Atos for a long time, and I'm sure that you have been there long enough. Did you start white belt to to brown belt? You did a little bit training somewhere else, but did you start at Atos as a white belt? Just curious. No, I'm from New Hampshire originally. So. Oh really. Yep. So when I started jujitsu, it was like at a little high school club on cheerleading mats in the cafeteria three days a right. week. You know, Blue Belt was teaching us, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I moved to Atos five and a half years ago or so. Okay. So you, you were you were five years in. Were you Purple Belt by that time? Were you uh, Blue Belt I was, that time? Uh, I was a four-stripe Blue Belt. And after my first week at Atos, I took all my stripes off and thought I was a white belt. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you move to That's San Diego? Happen. Did you come out here? Did you come to San Diego particularly to train, or was it some some kind of like job move or family move or something? No, I moved out here just for autos. Like oh, I, I was training eight hours a day back home, but like the level just wasn't the same. I was top dog every gym I went to, and I would win like the small local tournaments like Nagas and stuff. But IBJJF, I would always get second at best, like double silver every time. Yeah. I go the worlds or pans, lose first match every time. So I knew I had to like make a change in my training if I wanted to accomplish my goals. Now you're, you were already, if you don't mind me asking, you were already in the Northeast and the Northeast has a few really standout gyms, you know, New York, uh, they got Henzo's, they got the blue basement, you know, there's this Boston has pretty stacked gyms. What made you want to travel across the country for Otto specifically? Um, first thing is like Otto's always kind of like spoke to me. Like I was, watched you know at the time it was you know i was always watching gabal and he you know was one of my heroes and i always learned really well from his videos his t- i liked his style so that really um you know stuck with me and then everyone else who was there at the time you know you know you had like jt and liera multiple guys that i really looked up to and so i was like i want to trade with these guys they're all killers they're all champions a lot of good americans too that i can learn from along with gabal and the brazilian crew as well and secondly if i'm gonna move somewhere and like be really broke and struggle in an expensive city. I want to live where it's nice and warm. I'm not going to like move to New York and like be cold and pissed off all the time. Like I am in New Hampshire and be broke. 
So if I'm going to move and struggle, it's going to be at least sunny outside with palm trees. Oh, man. San Diego is beautiful. I got to visit one of your teammates. We talked about it off air a little bit. Uh, Anthony, uh, I can never say his damn last name. Gorilla, I think it's his last name. We call him Gorilla. Gorilla, because he's he got our black belt together. I bring his name up all the time. But when I go out there, I stay with him. And man, every time I go, I'm like, dude, I don't want to leave. San Diego is such an amazing city. It's so cool. It's so the weather is perfect. The people are awesome. It's just a beautiful, beautiful city full, full of beautiful fucking people. And then you get to train at Atos all day long. Like it's uh it's like paradise for a jiu-jitsu practitioner. So tell me a little bit about. Again, we, we, we've established you moved to Atos. You wanted to get better at jiu-jitsu. And, and, you know, obviously your jiu-jitsu got better. You know, you went from, you know, placing in, in, um, in IBJJF events to, to winning them, you know, outlandishly. And then, you know, in the history of Atos, you are probably the fifth number one ranked brown belt in the world for as long back as I can think about every time. Every time I look at it, you guys have another number one ranked purple belt, brown belt, something or other. In, in your ranking system, you guys just seem to turn them out. Like, tell us about what makes Atos so great. Like, why are you able to continue to crank out those those uh, those champions? And, and what about the gym culture, Andre Gavel, everything that makes that place such a special place? It's a good question. Um, it's like it's a crazy vibe. You have to go there and experience it to really like. I can try to describe it, but honestly, it's. I've been there before, and I've trained with you guys, so I get it. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just curious about your takes on. I'm sorry, I'm interrupt you again. No, it's fine. Um, the atmosphere is just very like we have our motto: like together we are stronger, and that's how we train. You know, we all help each other. Everyone's very like uplifting. We push each other, and we all we're all there for similar goals. We've all moved and uprooted our lives from wherever we came from to come here, train together, and accomplish similar goals. And with that, like camaraderie and that similar vision we all share, we just like put a lot of time and effort into each other as, as much as, as we do for ourselves. And yeah, we train hard and, you know, we push ourselves hard. And if you're not training hard, like, you know, you're just kind of wasting up people's time. So it's, and you're wasting your own time. So you go there, you show up and you put effort in, whether it's, you know, focused on your drilling or you're putting in hard rounds and doing, giving max effort and, Professor Gavao has made this environment where it's friendly, fun, but we learn and we train hard and we give our best. And as long as you give your best, um, that's all that's all I ask for. And he's a very good coach. You know, he's a great coach. And we go over lots of good technique. He comes over and he works with you, like anyone. Some Joe, Joe Schmo can go on the mat and, you know, ask him a question. He'll sit there and give you a little mini private, you know. No one's too good for, you know, to help anyone else. And with that, like wanting us all to rise up together that's what can like expedite our learning and make us level up faster you know because i can train with black belt world champions and they treat me with the respect you know that they would treat themselves or other black belts and so we all just get better together it's it is it's weird i've never had the pleasure of meeting mr galvao but friendly and upbeat are two words i would not immediately think of when i think of him terrifying and <laughs> Huge trap muscles are the things that come to mind. <laughs> He's a nice oh, guy. for sure. Awesome. He's so cool. Like, well, have you gotten much? Have you gotten many chances over the years to roll with him personally? Like, does do you and him go sparring? And if if so, what is that like? Like, does it get any easier? <laughs> we train a lot, and 
sometimes it's fun sometimes it's not <laughs> sometimes it's not <laughs> he makes me more tired than anyone else i've ever trained with he is so good at putting pressure while being light on his feet he makes you carry his weight and his feet are light and he's switching sides switching angles and he's not one of those guys who will unless he's training for like his own matches then he gets pretty serious and scary and he won't give you a chance um but if he's just like helping me train like he won't get the side mount and then crush my face and hold me for six minutes in that side mount. Like he'll get, he'll get to like a part where he's about to pass and then make me work to get out. And so he's like tiring me out. He won't let me chill. Like, cause it's hard rounds or like when it's a lot of back and forth, that's a harder round than just getting passed right after that. And then spending six minutes bottom side mount, you know? So he'll like pass, let me get out, try to pass again. And it's so tiring. <laughs> and like, over the years, you know, I've gotten better. Now we have more competitive rounds for sure, but um, it's never easy. It's never easy. Yeah, it's funny you you brought that up about uh, guys that just tend to like suck the life out of you that they keep their pressure on and like you, you they they get stronger as you get weaker and they capitalize on those those opportunities and like what I've noticed about some of the best guys in the world that I've ever trained with are that is that is there's something about them that they have this innate ability to understand when they've pushed you to that point of breaking and then they break you and capitalize on that and like it's just it's something that you can't quantify in a technique you hey everybody sorry again technical difficulties adams wi-fi is like the white belt of wi-fi so he is working very hard to making this work we really appreciate him and all the effort he's putting in so kev you were you were saying about uh sucking the life out of sucking the life out by far not the worst we've ever had Don't oh jesus it. yeah right. like nikki rod was coming into us from a potato when we yeah, had him. Right. <laughs> You know, when you learn when when you learn to deal with these things, you just deal with the fact that nothing, anything that can happen will usually happen in the course of a Yeah, my router's a roll of scotch tape on a candle. So, so you know. the question I was asking was that what I've noticed about some of the better guys in the world is that they figure out a way to understand when they break you. Like I roll with my head instructor Matt Arroyo all the time, and he is a stud, a USC fighter, I've been training jiu-jitsu for a long, long time. He's ADCC qualifier, really freaking strong, strong jiu-jitsu player. And when I roll with him, there's always that moment in every role where I realize that I broke. He capitalized on that and won the role we were in or run the match we were in. And like the thing about that is it's not something that you can teach. It's not something that like you could bring somebody in and make them understand how to recognize when there's blood in the water and capitalize on it. It's just something you just you just learn. You just feel it's a, like a feeling for it. You know, and what I've noticed, the, tell me tell me a little bit about how you feel about that. Tell me about how if how that's like with Galval if that's representative of what you think about Galval running with Galval. Yeah, I mean, he definitely pushes the pace, like, especially if I have a match like He's going to give it to me and he's going to like try to play even the style of the opponent. Like he's going to match that style too and help me out that way. Um, yeah, it just depends, you know, it depends on where we are in the training camp too. Like half midway through the training camp. Yeah. He's not giving me any chances and I have to work for every little, you know, advantage point I can get. Um, you know, but then he has a good way of working with his athletes of like boosting them up towards the end and like, letting us work, get our game and yeah, letting me shoot my attacks off so he can also like, you know, uh, critique them and, you know, add to my game more. Or if he is 
you know, working me that day. If, you know, if I'm not having a good day and he's just beating the crap out of me, then he helps me with my defense or my counters and my positional, you know, my positional awareness so that I, you know, can stay in a safe place. Um, so like, it's a mix though. Like I have so many other training partners too, and they're all training, you know, hard. So like, it's not just Scavao, but I have like Kainan and Gustavo, Jonatas, you know, all the, like Don Bell, all these other really good black belts that are all training really hard, not giving me any chances either. So like yeah. I get a variety of training of people who are trying to absolutely just kill me and people who are just having fun and everything in between. Yeah. I, I've been, like I said, I've been out to train before and I've watched some of your training sessions and it's, it's just phenomenal. I, it's what Kevin talked a lot about when we talked about what it's like training autos is he compares it to like a very high level division one wrestling program. You know, there's just, there's such organization and such, uh, you know, atmosphere. Autos is obviously the head of the spear and, and running the, running the coaches or running the, uh, the program, running, running the classes and, uh, you know, you guys start with drilling, then you do a little technique, then whatever he feels like is needed for that day, you guys morph into those situations. And it's, it's really cool to see that because you don't see that a lot. Like, you're very blessed to have that level of, of, of uh, structure in your gym. So it pushes you guys to the next level. What, uh, what do you feel like uh, – how do you feel about uh, – who's your who's some of your toughest roles, some of the toughest guys in the room you have? Tell me Josh Hanger's a punk. No, nah, he's, he's my dog. I've talked to him a few different times. He's, he's too big time to come on this show, but we'll get him on eventually. I, <laughs> I mean, everyone's tough because even the blue belts, you know, right. I know what they're it's I know what it's like. You're a blue belt, you show up, you want to prove yourself, and you're just gonna come at everyone fearlessly and relentlessly. So like even if you want to get a restaurant with someone you're better than or bigger than, like you're going to have to fight like hell for a bit first to like get them into that position and then you can chill. <laughs> but until you control them, it's just like a rabid animal coming at you. Right. Um, my toughest rounds, like, man, depends anyone who's there. Like, you got Ronaldo, who's just like a marathon runner of jujitsu. He can just like go hundred percent. Like he can keep that pace for an hour. Easy. I've seen him do it for an hour. And uh, he's a big guy too, which is even crazier. You, you know, normally the Luler ones can do that, but when you got a guy that what's you fight with heavyweights, what's he fought your way, right? You to be able to do that. He was the other brown belt world champion, brown belt number one ranked, and then he had the other one before that. But that was just anyway. I'm sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, depends. Like, you got Gustavo, who's then the totally other end of the spectrum. Gustavo Batista, he's not like super explosive and athletic, but he is just a tractor in first gear, and you know what he's doing but he's just going to try to grind through you and make you carry all the weight. And that's so tiring as well. So you got guys who are going to make you sprint and guys who are just going to try to smush you. And yeah, I mean, name all the top black and brown belts there. Those are all my toughest, toughest roles anywhere from Gavao to Andy Murasaki. And they all have such different games that one round I'm scrambling like crazy with Ronaldo and then the next round I'm defending Burn Bolos and Kisses a Dragon with Andy. Then the next round I'm trying not to let Gavao bless double me into the wall. <laughs> you know, so it's it's just you gotta be ready for everything and all of them are super tough. And even some of the lesser known guys, you know, we have a lot of guys who haven't blown up on the scene yet but are so so good and they're gonna surprise people. We've got a lot of secret hidden weapons there. 
Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting when you talk about it. Like, that's another thing I think about a lot when I think about just the beauty of what jiu-jitsu is and how it comes to the table. Because you talked a lot about a bunch of different guys, and all of them have you know different skill sets and different techniques and different individual approaches to, to the art of jiu-jitsu. And the even cooler part is, is you all have the same coach. You know, Andre Gavel obviously isn't going to do a whole lot of barambolos and a lot of freaking kiss of the dragon. It's like he could do them, obviously, but he, you know, it, he maybe do it to me. You know what I'm talking about? But like, he's not. That's not going to be his go-to in a competition. But you have guys that develop that aspect of the game, and it's the, one of the beautiful things about jujitsu is that even though you have this amazing instructor that is pointing you guys in the right direction, making you guys work hard building the culture because that's so much of what the head instructor does. And then obviously he has some of his go-to things that you guys work on, his structures and, and philosophies that you work on. But everybody kind of does their own thing and you have different looks and it just makes your jiu-jitsu that much better, man. It's pretty cool to see shit like that. Man. So. For sure. That's why I feel like when I'm training or competing, like I'm just ready for anyone. Like no one scares me because I get – a look of every i get you know a taste of everything every day so it's you know that's why i feel very well-rounded and i can do whatever rule set gi or no gi and feel just fine like i don't feel like i'm not prepared ever i i, I know he hasn't been uh, a part of autos in a while ever since he he left but since keenan was there for so long did you get good at uh, defending the worm guard at all or did did you have much interaction with him while he was there I'll be honest, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, even like people, like, I remember when I fought who's number one against Dante Cano, he put me in reverse Della Worm super fast. And the commentators were like, well, I was training with Keenan. You should be better at defending this. I'm like, I barely got to train with Keenan. I don't know. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't train too much. But by the time I got there, he was focused on other things. Then he left. So, like, you know. So yeah, he's, been but, he's been gone for a little while. Yeah, I'm like no. the lapel guy now. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm the lapel player, and everyone hates me. You got a promotion? <laughs> Hell yeah! That is, that is that is annoying as lapel guards, man. I, I tell you, it's it's one of those things. It's like you, even from a closed guard position where you're in someone's lapel guard, like even if they're not moving you a lot, because I got a solid base, it's hard to move me around. You know what I'm talking about? But and I'm cool with that. I'm an old black belt. I can fucking make my base strong and be like, yeah, that's cool. It's cute. Like you're not gonna sweep me from here. But what it does is, is it keeps me from being able to do anything I want to do. Like when my arm sure. is pinned back up here and it's wrapped around my leg, like I might not be getting swept, but I can't really do anything to address this, which leads for me to overcommit and make a mistake. And then you capitalize. Like, yeah. You can't pass until you address it. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's dope, man. Um, I very quick. There's one uh, other jujitsu thing I wanted to talk about before. Uh, you obviously got to go back to being a, a fucking killer on the mats. But I wanted to talk a little bit about one of the auxiliary needs of a professional jiu-jitsu athlete, and that's like strength and conditioning. Uh, we were talking a little bit. One of the first things we talked about was uh, Electrum Sports, which is uh, one of that was one of your sponsors. You've gone on to start working with the company in a much closer capacity. Um, you've credited them with a lot of your strength gains as a professional athlete. What goes into building a higher like capacity vessel for a jiu-jitsu athlete as opposed to other sports so yeah electrum has uh, specialized in combat sports and they've worked with athletes in every sport but um you know our niche is combat and specifically jiu-jitsu right now um we work with all of the best guys and from autos and other teams as well and basically it's very science-based. You know, you get a lot of these 
like you get a lot of clowns honestly in like the strength training world who just don't really have the certifications they don't know what they're doing but they throw cool stuff at you and it looks cool and they you know people believe in it you know they'll eat that stuff right up but um what goes into our training we very much focus on like progressive overload and slowly but surely adding you know progress like making progress with every you know every day and we're not going to make you and we try to like program like things that are going to help with your jiu-jitsu so we do a lot of like isometric strength and we do a lot of you know grip training but we don't get like too specific where we have to be like a lot of people like get way too specific with their training and they're doing like barbells on their feet <laughs> inverting crazy stuff it's not like not good stuff um you know we still do a lot of like more power lifting style i would say um as like in return like to be compared with like CrossFit or anything like that, we don't really do that. We stick more with like you know the classic powerlifting, um, our get our deadlifts, our squats, all these things. I don't know if I'm answering your question the right way, but I, you're you're giving us a more a big outlook on the organization, and that's basically where I was coming to. So keep going. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. So you know you got the head coaches, both uh, Alex Bryce and Alex Sterner. You know, Alex Sterner's been training. MMA, combat sports, jiu-jitsu for well over 10 years now. So he knows what goes into it. He's competed a lot under Atos as well. And um, Alex Bryce, you know, he's a genius. You can ask that dude anything. You can ask who won the World Series in 1989. He'll, he's like a computer. Um, very, very smart, very intelligent. And they, they know the science, what goes into, you know, helping you progress, whether it's your isometric strength, your rate of force development. So, um Basically, anything you need as a combat sports athlete. When and when recovery as well, you know, training strength and uh, strength training can, you know, help you heal a lot faster. Plus, make you less prone to injuries because we're building the muscles around those joints, strengthening the ligaments, putting your bones and ligaments under pressure that make them harder to injure, which keeps you on the mat longer, more consistently, which gets you better at jujitsu faster. And that's basically our whole our whole thing there. The whole paradigm is to keep you on the mat, keep you progressing. And we don't let your strength training take you away from jiu-jitsu. We're not gonna make you so wrecked from strength training that you go into jiu-jitsu not being able to train very well. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's all about supporting the athlete and keeping them healthy while we progressively um, help them, you know, gain strength, flex like flexibility, mobility, and conditioning. Yeah, so much of you know, modern uh, strength training has been geared along that. Like the the biggest old school comes from boxing and the old school idea is you go to the gym, you break yourself down as hard as you possibly can, and then you recover and get stronger. And like, you know, there are some benefits to that, I guess, in, a, in an awkward world if you're not doing anything else besides lifting weights, right? But when you're actually trying to be a world-class athlete and you're beating yourself up every day in the gym and in the jiu-jitsu room or in the jiu-jitsu room or in the MMA room for you eventually soon enough. Like you can't do that every body just can't handle that. And there's very, there's way more intelligent ways to get the same amount of, uh, you know, gains from doing things more intelligently that aren't going to break your body down. It's a, it's a whole new mindset. I trained the way I train. I've got a personal trainer that works with me. I have a NASM degree certification too, but that's something that needs to change because people just get hurt too much. Like you just, you just get hurt. You can't handle that way. That That's actually one question I wanted to posit to you is, is that there, you know, many of the big jujitsu athletes that have been competing for years now are no stranger to the weight room 
do you think that there's any common mistakes that you you notice with that caliber of athlete in the way that people have traditionally approached strength training? Um, good question. You know, from what I see, it's mostly just like you get these guys who either just teach themselves how to lift or they don't have a very well-qualified strength coach and you see them just lifting, always trying to like one up their last lift, regardless of if they trained hard or not, how their body's feeling. You see them deadlifting 445 with a rounded back and hurting themselves eventually, you know, um, we're very much not about that. Like there's days where I just trained so hard that morning and I feel like I'm just dragging my feet in there and I'll go and lift 60% of what I know I can. Um, I think that being able to tailor your workouts, depending on how you feel that day and not always just working harder, 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 harder until you just can't anymore. I think that's a, that's a big difference between how strength training used to be, how conditioning used to be and where it's heading. Because I know, I still know so many like MMA fighters who are just like their coaches are just like three miles of this, a million burpees, hundred pushups, no matter what. If you don't do this, you're lazy. And all other stuff like that, right? Yeah. yeah, they just go harder, 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 not smarter, you know. Yeah. And you can, it's kind of counterproductive, counterintuitive after a bit, you know, to like to train that hard constantly. You know, you got to be able to take the gas pedal off and make sure you feel your best. And when you're training the sport that you're doing professionally, like I'm not a weightlifter professionally, you know, that's not my thing. There was like a solid year where I was always just obsessed with PRs and putting 345 on my back and see how many times I can do it. And that was fun. It's super fun. And like I'm motivated to start lifting real heavy again because yeah, I just have a good time doing it, but I'm not a power lifter. So I have to keep that in mind. I'm training, I'm lifting to help my jujitsu. And if like I hurt myself lifting and I can't train jujitsu, I messed up. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up a lot about the self-taught stuff. It's just, you know, you go to professional. You don't go to a you don't go to a a, a mechanic to to fix your toilet. You know what I mean? It's just like you don't just like when you were training jujitsu at an inferior spot and you wanted to go to where the best jujitsu is, you go to where the best jujitsu is. And the reason why they're the best is because they're tried and true. They think about things in a scientific method, they're not just some dude that lifts at the gym that you know has significant gains because of his body or whatever type of you know whatever his his system seems to work for so he tells you how that works for you you need someone that understands your body your your development what your your goals are and put you in the right path there yeah 100 i used to make up my own workouts all the time when i was younger i had to delete yeah. videos off i had to go back like 10 years ago and delete videos off my facebook of me doing like dumbbell overhead press while standing on a yoga ball i'm like yeah this is balance and i'm training jujitsu i'm training strength and balance all at the same time and i look back and i'm like no get this off the internet now don't ever do that <laughs> don't ever do that like put a disclaimer <laughs> underneath it this is yeah, horrible yeah. when something's yeah, so, so like, when, when something you're so ashamed of you're just worried that it'll inspire others <laughs> yeah no at the time i was like this is this is it this is the stuff Hell i know yeah. what i'm doing so, so i got one sorry kev i'm sorry i got, I got one more question for you um, just because I'm curious, like, and I know this is indicative of what other people uh, in the Autos gym are doing the training regiment. Tell us a quick rundown of what your week is like when you're when you're really firing off, get ready for competition. Yeah, so a normal week for me would be six a.m. comp class. You know, wake up at five, get there for six. We train for about two hours, and then I go home and. I rest. I'll try to take a nap if I can for, you know, give myself like a two to three hour period where I can take a break, eat, sleep. And then 
I'm usually pretty tired after that, pretty wrecked after comp class, but then I'll go to Electrum, which is right down the road from Optos. I'll get on the floor. I'll help coach clients. Um, just, you know, do whatever I need to do to help out there. Then I'll get my own lift in until about four. And then I teach class four and five. I teach a beginner's class, like day one students. Um, so that's only an hour. And then after that, I'll head to train again at night, typically, or um, head to arena and do, you know, striking or MMA. And that's typically what, like, a normal weekday is like. And I'll do that Monday through Friday of training two, four, sometimes six hours of training and lifting. Um, and then between that, I am working on my social media or Electrum social media, you know, trying to study marketing, AI, the back end of Facebook, business, all these things, trying to like gain other skills and other aspects. And then on the weekends, Saturday, I just lift. Sometimes I'll drill and Sundays I take completely off and I'm usually on the couch watching Netflix all day. Now, uh, real quick, real quick, just from one a guy who just got his uh, his master's in marketing last year, uh, I could maybe help you out a little bit with the Electrum social media. You guys need to be leaning way more into the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere stuff because I only ever clicked on you guys because I, I I'm a Mistborn fan and you guys. Mm-hmm. Your whole logo is inspired by Mistborn. You yeah. need to be doing memes and stuff. Maybe get Brandon to start doing push-ups or something. Like <laughs> you, you can just lean more into that, the fantasy, because then we can get a bunch of nerds that don't do jujitsu at all into the gym, and then that's the pipeline <laughs> yeah. to jujitsu. And then, and then we just get a bunch of jacked-up nerds out there in the world. And I feel like that's the end goal that you guys should be pushing towards. Hell yeah, yeah, Mistborn's Hell awesome. Yeah. I love it. Such a great, oh, such a great story. We were, that, was, that was what made me think we got to be related. It, uh, if it wasn't <laughs> the last name is that we're both like super big into the same fantasy book series because, you know, mm-hmm. it's whatever. <laughs> oh, man. All right. uh, Kev, if you're done, I do have one more question. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead. All right. Now, Adam, you've had the pleasure – like Atos has been home to many big uh, MMA stars in multiple different promotions. And you guys have recently – been courting one of the biggest stars in the world in Israel Adesanya. And you guys actually got to, you posted a picture to your social media of you guys uh, seeming to wrap up a role. One, how did that practice session go? Uh, and, and what do you think about his, his jujitsu game? His jujitsu is great. Like a lot of people were trying to like, I feel like anytime an MMA fighter or someone famous gets promoted, like they get their purple belt and every other blue and purple belt in the world's like, well, I could beat him for sure. Yeah, I, I wasn't – I'm a blue belt. I wasn't saying that. Just put, put okay. that out there. I wasn't saying that. His jiu-jitsu is very sound. Um, you know, we were training. He's got great base, of course, hard to take down. He kept pulling guard in our roles. I was like, oh, this is surprising. Okay. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's there. He's very humble, just trying to get better. He's willing to learn from everyone. He's super nice, super funny dude. He's Naruto running at me <laughs> to start the role and just saying different <laughs> jiu-jitsu from Naruto. So, like, and we're both huge Naruto fans. So, yeah, we're just nerding out. Um, overall, you know, it was fun. He's a tough dude. I mean, of course, like he's more of a striker and I've dedicated most of my, like half my life to grappling. So, I mean, you can put the one and two together, you know, but, um, honestly, like he's a solid purple belt. It's well-deserved. And I'm actually trying to um, plan a trip to go to New Zealand to train at MMA camp with him later this year. So I'm very have excited for that. Hit, have you been hitting him up at all for like, hey, man, this striking stuff sucks. I need your help. Uh, <laughs> he gave me a couple of tips out. while he was here. 
Oh, yeah? I, I expressed interest. And yeah, he's very, he's very, very helpful. He's a overall solid dude. I highly recommend, uh, you know, getting a train, getting the train with him if you ever have the chance. He's a really, really solid dude. There's some MMA fighters who show up and they're not so nice, but he's the man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Some of them are kind of dicks. Some of them just want to get in there and get at it. He seems pretty humble. I mean, yeah. I, and I, and to talk about when people talk about things like that, or well, like, why does Austin Kusher get his brown belt? Or why did you know, <laughs> he easy got a purple belt? Sure, whatever. Of course, it is like, bro, shut up. <laughs> like, that's easy, freaking. That's middle middleweight world middleweight UFC champion, freaking easy as hard. Like, you're you're in trouble. You're not like that like guy. Anytime you go against even like a local pro that's a blue belt or a purple belt, like you know you're going to be in for a fight. Their jiu-jitsu might not be as fluid and beautiful as, as you'd like to think it is as someone that's just training jiu-jitsu, but they're going to be a tough stud because they're MMA fighters. That's what they do. They're in a different, they're in another another psychological level of toughness. One hundred percent. I feel like these people on their couch eating potato chips, watching this story right now, they're like. Oh, uh, no, like he's not, uh, you know, I'd kill that. <laughs> let's put, like, him, let's put him in a gi and show it works. He'll probably still kill you in a gi. <laughs> he was training the gi a lot too. He likes the gi too. Um, you have to think he's a world-class athlete. He's dedicated to martial arts and he could put that same amount of work ethic that he put into kickboxing and MMA. He does that in jiu-jitsu as well. He's here to get better and to win UFC titles and jiu-jitsu is a part of that. He's there taking it very seriously. You know, he's not just showing up once a week and guy about throws a freaking purple ball at him for no reason, just for the picture. You know, it's so I, silly. I, I I thought it was really weird when Paulo Costa ahead of their fight used the whole "I'm a black belt" and then he threw a, a white belt at him during like a face off as like a, a way to and get. They, and they him. never took a shot on him. And once then, and then after, but afterwards, Izzy Izzy won the internet with that uh, post of him in the white belt, and he's like, "Okay, true day, we're going hip escapee." <laughs> <laughs> he's a troll man he's so good at that he's so, so funny. i i want to just like it, this has been a hot button issue for a while so and you're more qualified to speak on the issue than than many others that are offering opinions so here and now israel adesanya a worthy purple belt yay or nay 100 no doubt okay all right he so surprised everybody, me everybody that continues to belabor the point Unless you outrank this guy on IBJJF or Flow Grappling Rankings, which he's the number one heavyweight brown belt in the world, so that's a very few, small list of people, you got to shut up, okay? Well, even yeah. more than that. Anyone who would question, like, <laughs> if you're questioning Izzy's purple belt, you're questioning Andre Gaival for giving it to him, and that's that's on you. Like, I don't – that's just like when people tell me that Ashton Kusher is a brown belt, I say, well, who gave him his brown belt? Oh, freaking uh, – what's his name? The, the guy with the hand. Uh, freaking Machado. Machado, <laughs> right. Machado. Like John Jack Machado gave his brown belt. Okay, well, am I going to tell John Jack Machado that freaking Keegan – It was actually did, uh, Hegan, I think. I'm yeah, pretty sure it was Hegan. Hegan, whatever. Whichever one. Which one? Am I going to tell him that Ashley Kusher's not a brown belt? Whatever. But he says he's a brown belt. He's a brown belt. I don't know what to say. You know, how, why – that guy – Loves jujitsu more than I can than I can ever begin to imagine. Like if he gives him a brown, but if Andre Gavall gives Izzy a, a fucking purple belt, that guy's a purple belt from Andre Gavall. So shut up. Hundred <laughs> All right. Well, Adam, this has been a, a very enlightening podcast, and we really appreciate your time. And you you've gotten to speak at length about one of your big sponsors and and one of the organizations you work with. But if there's anything else you would like to plug. Uh, that you have going on, things you want people to be made aware of. The floor is yours. Well, 
I would say, yeah, check out election performance, you know, electionperformance.com. It's the best thing you can do for yourself, whether you're an athlete or not, you know, so please check it out. We have multiple workout plans um, for anyone who's looking to improve their physique, their conditioning, their strength. So yeah, please check it out. If you have any questions, you can message me on, on Instagram, wherever, and I'll help you out. Okay, and they're not paying me. They're not paying this Bradley uh, a dime to say this, but if, ahead of this podcast, I actually did one of their uh, no, like super minimalist workout days because uh, all the gyms near me are closed and I can barely afford the dumbbells I have outside my door. And they'll kick your ass. It's it's no joke. They've got some really solid stuff up on the their app. So you know, no money at, at all behind this, but go check it out. It's really good. All right. Well, Adam, that's this has been an uh, awesome. Oh, wait, there's one thing I completely forgot to ask you. I, I know that we were getting swept up in your announcement that you're moving towards MMA in the future. But do you have any jujitsu matches on the horizon planned or is it day by day? Yeah, so far, this is the longest break I've taken from competing. And I won't be, you know, it's gonna be three months off from competing. That's like the longest I've ever taken. You know, I'm usually yeah. trying to compete like every weekend. But I plan on doing Dallas Open. Uh, IBJJF in March, beginning of March. You know, probably just going to do the nogi. Maybe I'll throw the gi on too. We'll see. I haven't decided yet. Um, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, everybody, he's decided. He's doing the gi. Probably do both. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like I said, I have FOMO. I don't want someone to win my gi division either. Um, <laughs> other than that, I have a... It hasn't been like confirmed yet, but it will likely happen. Um, third Coast Grappling in the beginning of April, I'll have a super fight likely against Pedro Mourinho, and I'm very excited for that. That's a that's a fun matchup. I'm going to see that. I forget he's still a brown belt too. That's one of the maybe that's the match I finally I finally actually fly out to Texas for. You know, yeah, just, yeah. just only for you, Adam. You know, I've, I've I just had to get me to come out there too. Maybe I'll come out there. Maybe we can storm that place. We'll go. To, we'll go check out a third course. We'll the Kevin, Kevin right Bradley, Bradley team in person. It's a great show. <laughs> it's a really great event. I love it. It's my favorite rule set. Um, yeah, it's going to be. It's really good for my game too. You know, you got like the. IBJJF points, but with the heel hooks and all these different things, like it's just the perfect rule set for me. So I really enjoy it. And, you know, the guys behind it are really solid dudes too. So I'm really excited to go back to Houston and put on a show in April. Yeah, so Ryan's cool. We have him on a lot. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm good. Yeah. If you got anything else, I, one from me again, Adam, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, bro. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We'd love to be back on again. Sorry, we had whatever technical problems we had, but you're awesome. It's good it's enough. It's not a, it's not an episode of the JJT podcast without at least eight things that going wrong. So this is pretty, you know, pretty fortunate for us that only two things went wrong. But yeah, if you would um, like me on again, you know, I got plenty of other stories to tell, plenty of other things to talk about, and I will have it set up to where we have less technical difficulties. Oh uh, well, we we appreciate the effort, sir, and we would absolutely love to have you back on, if only so we can get the twenty three and me results. And I know I could hit you up for organs at some point in the future. <laughs> but <laughs> that being said, this has been a very a very fun and lighthearted episode of the Jiu Jitsu Times podcast with one of the most dangerous men in the world, Mister Adam Bradley, coming to an octagon near you. So be ready for that. As always, I have been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and keep on training, man, because who knows? This guy on, on the bottom here could come and kick your ass one day, so be ready for that. Uh, we love you all. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you.